Right, so we're going to think about time. Okay. <clears throat> and time is something we don't often uh, stop and think about, but we all experience it. Older people talk about it. And you've just watched that really bizarre video with uh, Eric Cantona, my favorite footballer of all time. So it's purely, you're getting pure nostalgia uh, from me. Uh, and the words, uh, the Gallagher words, I remember how you used to shine back then. You went down so easy like a glass of wine, my friend. When the dawn came up, you felt so inspired to do it again. But it turns out you only get to do it once. And the whole, uh, like the great house in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, there, there is the king now in his castle all alone. Uh, the glory of the bygone days is all behind him. Uh, he's reenacting uh, his greatness is Neil but all he's got left is a plastic crown and a, a robe uh, all by himself and all because of time here's Psalm 102 of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain they will all wear out like a garment you will change them like a robe and they will pass away but you are the same and your years have no end what we're going to do in this session is think about the way that time works in the whole of Ecclesiastes, not just chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3, but we're going to go back and look at those opening verses of chapter 1 as well. And the, the, the main thing I want to say to you on this in thinking about time in Ecclesiastes, and some of it, people like Tramper Long, when other people get a bit lost thinking about this, the main thing you need to know about time is that God is not in time. That's the, the, main, the main frame that we, we need to put around this, Okay. It's tucked into chapter 3, verse 11. God has put eternity into man's heart. But a lot of people get lost looking at how awful things are in time in Ecclesiastes without seeing that the writer, the writer is not lost in the awfulness or the brevity of time. He has his eyes on who God is. And this is typical Psalm 102. Everything else will change. Okay, Cantona took off one robe, didn't he, and dressed himself in the old king's cloak. And the Psalm 102 says that, that that is what God will do with the heavens and the earth, the foundations of the earth, the heavens, the earth, everything. God can take those all on and off. He can take them away just like you hang up your dressing gown at the end of the day or in the start of the morning and put on something else to wear instead. God can do that with everything that is, and he never changes. His years have no end. Now, I, want to, I want to expand your minds a little bit, okay, before we think about time in Ecclesiastes. Okay, here's Francis Turretin, okay, famous Reformed theologian. This is, this is the bit you need to uh, read carefully and concentrate on here. L listen to what Turretin says about time, okay? True eternity has been defined as this, okay? True eternity is the interminable possession of life, complete, perfect, and at once. Therefore, 
true eternity excludes succession no less than end and ought to be conceived as a standing, not a flowing now. Okay, so this is, you know, you don't talk like this over coffee normally, do we? Okay, okay. The, the morning has flowed, hasn't it? Okay, we, 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 we met at this time, we're now at this time, there's going to be lunch at this time. We experiencing time as a flowing now, but true eternity is a standing. It, it is not, doesn't have successive episodes. And the reason is because nothing flows away with time from the life of God as from ours. God has no progress in him. He is not on his way to being more God. Succession is part of being a creature. We are on our way to something all the time. We're on our way to improving ourselves, to progress. We're on our way to decline. God has no potential in him. He, he cannot be more tomorrow than he was yesterday. And it, partly it's because there is no tomorrow for God. Okay, now here's the key bit. I don't know if it, the bold, yeah, you can see it in bold up there, hopefully. God has every moment at once, whatever we have dividedly by succession of time. Okay, I really want you to feel how mind-blowing this is. God has every moment at once, whatever we have dividedly by succession of time. So however old you think the earth is, we won't get into all the debates. Let's say it's six to seven, eight thousand years, you know, literal reading of Genesis right through. Some people think it's millions, billions of years old. However, however far back time goes, however old the earth is, right the way through to the end of time when God sends the Lord Jesus back as universal king and judge and God takes all of time and wraps it all up, okay? Wraps it all up, the heavens and the earth as a scroll. That whole bit of time from when time began to when time ends is present to God in one moment. And moment is not even the right word. Moment is a time-bound word, okay? Hence, philosophers have said that neither the future nor the past, God will be or God was, but only the present, he is, can properly be applied to him. When God revealed himself to Moses, what, did, what, what was his name? I am. And because I am, I was. And because I am, I will be. But, but what is the essence of God? What is the essence of the divine name? It is that I exist. I am. Now, there is your creator-creature distinction like nothing else, isn't it? What, what is my essence? It is not that I am. It's that I'm here, will be for a short time, and I will be gone. And God has none of that in him. Philosophers have said, neither the future nor the present, but only, no, neither the future nor the past, but only the present, he is, I am, can properly be applied to him. For the eternal duration of God embraces indeed all of time, the past, the present, and the future. But nothing in God can be past or future because his life remains always and unchangeably the same. It's an amazing thing to think that in, in, in strict, in, in theological, philosophical terms, theologians talk about God being pure act. 
So you, you're, you're acting today in some way. You're moving here. You're going there. You, you might do something good. You might do something bad. Your actions might lead to the decline of your life. The actions might lead to the growth of your life. You, you are a person full of potential. And who you will be is not yet who you are, but you are heading in that direction. Potential both for old age and decline and potential for life and fruitfulness. God has no potential in him. He's never going to be and that potential that you have, time is going to give you that for either good or bad. But because God is outside time, there's nothing coming to him that he does not already have or possess. Eternity is a standing, not a flowing. It is a, it is a perfect possession of who God is. Now, when you see the scale of that and the beauty of that, I, I, want, I put that in here early to help us when we get to chapter 3, verse 11, about God putting eternity into man's heart. So that, that incredible scale on the, on the screen, in some way, God has put that into you. I'm going to try and say a little bit about, about what that might mean, okay? Now, when we see that this is what God is like, what are we are like? What are we, what are we like? <clears throat> Here's a friend of mine, Matthew, uh, Francis Turretin from centuries ago. Matthew Roberts uh, is a minister in York. Uh, in England. Here's what Matthew says. There is a principle which runs through the Christian understanding of all human affairs, and it's this. When we try to be God, we make ourselves less than human. But when we are willing to admit we are not God and we worship him alone, then we discover what humanity is all about. We are made to be images of God, not God ourselves. In trying to be God, we are making ourselves less and less human. Okay. What, what one book to recommend to you is a book by an American author called Jen Wilkin. I think she's part of the Village Church uh, in, in Dallas, Texas, I think. She's written two, bo two books on the attributes of God, what, one called None Like Him, on God's incommunicable attributes, the things that only God has, uh, eternity, om omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence and what it means that God is like that. And she's written another book called In His Image, God's Communicable Attributes. God is love, God is truth, God is patience, uh, God is patient. The, the things about God that we can copy and be like. The genius of the first book called None Like Him, God's Incommunicable Attributes, the genius of that book is Jen Wilkin realizes most of our sin is us trying to do God's incommunicable attributes. When we try to know it all, when we try to be omniscient, when we try to do it all, we try to be omnipotent, when we try, I mean, why, why, why are you knackered so much? Okay, people say it's because your time management, your diet, you need to do that. No, it's because you want to be God. You want to be everywhere. You want to be in all places at all times, knowing everything, doing everything, instead of realizing I am time-bound and limited. And Jen Wilkins' book is a really beautiful, she, she's hit on something that I don't think I've seen anywhere else, the pastoral application of the incommunicable attributes of God. It's a way of naming our sins, naming our idolatries, trying to do and to be what only God can do and be. And Ecclesiastes is a great big hammer in the teacher's hand to smash our idolatrous pretensions that we will live forever, that we will be eternal like God is eternal. Matthew's point here about 
when you try to do what only God can do, it doesn't make, when you try to transcend humanness, okay, and this is, this is really what you, we're seeing massively in the transgender uh, uh, phase, craze, whatever, whatever it is, whatever period of time we're in, the attempt, the attempt to transcend creaturely, creaturely givenness and creature, creaturely reality, it does not make you more human, but actually in a way less human, doesn't it? It, it, it changes the character of who we are as, as human people. And the, ma the main thing to know about time and eternity is that understanding God is eternal and I am not will help me be in time better will help me accept time's limitations and live within it more properly. So I want to give you six things, and I don't, know, um, I don't know how far we'll get through them. Six things about time. Look how simple they are. Time, time teaches us that life is short, life is elusive, life is repetitive, life, life is rhythmical, life is relational, life is ordered. And when we get to about number five, I've got another video. Uh, to show you, so we'll see where we are with time. That might have to wait, uh, wait to this evening. Okay, so some of this we've done already, haven't we? Number one, life is short, and it all comes from chapter one, verse two. Fleeting, fleeting, says the preacher. Fleeting, fleeting, all is fleeting. Okay, to to be young like you guys are, like my son when he gets out of the car and goes off to football. Will, William Hazlitt said, "To be young is to feel immortal." And that, that's just, what, what does it feel like to be young? Okay, you know your body works well and all the rest of it, but what, is it, what does it feel like to be a young person? The feeling is the feeling of immortality. So when, when I tell my son to put his bike out, he literally said to me the other day, I'm not going to have an accident or something like that. Something like, it's like, n n nobody goes to work planning to end up in A&E, &E, do they, by, you know, by lunchtime? Um, he, he feels immortal. There is nothing his body can't do. Accidents are what happens to other people. And the wise person knows, no, life is short. Life is short. Life will be here and gone before you know it. And I want you to leave this weekend knowing your time is short. And Ecclesiastes is going to leave you with that ringing in, in one ear and in the other ear saying, so how are you now going to live? When Kobe Bryant died, the famous basketball player, he died tragically in that helicopter crash. Michael Jordan, I just finished watching. Have any of you watched the Michael Jordan series on Netflix? Um, yeah, it, I, I'm not into basketball at all. I, don't, I know nothing about I know you shoot a ball through a hoop that hangs on the wall. And apart, apart from that, I know nothing about basketball. If you're into journalism, you're into um, cultural stuff, whatever, there is nobody who will not benefit from watching that Michael Jordan net Netflix. Uh, what was it called? The Last Dance. Yeah, yeah. So the team that Michael Jordan played in, um, they, the last season that he played in, they called it The Last Dance, so the sort of greatest constellation of stars. They're going to have one more go at winning the championship. And what that documentary series does is it takes that one idea of the last dance and it, it pulls all the threads of it out all the way back to the start of his career and all the way back to the career of the coach and all the way back to the career of the other. It, it is a stunning piece of documentary and filmmaking and uh, study in human nature. Let, really, I really, really want to recommend that to you to watch it from beginning to end. Michael Jordan said when Kobe Bryant died, 
reflecting on Kobe Bryant's life and his own life, he said, I would get everything I have, I would swap it all to be able to play basketball again. So he's one of the sports, sporting world's first billionaires. The story of how he got his Nike Air trainers is one of the episodes. Adidas looked at the proposal and said, this won't work, and turned it down. And it's made Michael Jordan, made Nike a billionaire company. He said, everything I have, I would swap it all. Now, wouldn't you like to be a billionaire? A bit more money, a little bit, no more holiday problems, everything sorted, pay off the student debt. And Jordan says, every single bit, of it, I would swap it to be able to play again. Ecclesiastes says, yeah, life is short. The, the greatest things you have, one day your body won't be able to do them. Are you doing them today, treasuring them, and knowing that life is short? Here's the second thing about life, that <clears throat> life is elusive. Chapter 1, verse 8, all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. This idea of life being a mist or a vapor, it's not just that mists come and go, so they're gone by lunchtime, but have you ever tried to take some mist home with you from a weekend away? A beautiful morning of camping, you get up, you try and take a photo of it for your Instagram page, it's just beautiful, and you think, this is so beautiful, I'm gonna take the mist back with me. The moment you try and grab it, it, it just goes through your hands, doesn't it? It, 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 it eludes you. It's, it, it just does not last. That's why on, uh, the book that I wrote in Ecclesiastes uh, on the front cover is a picture of a sandcastle because it, it, in the book I tell the story of building sandcastles on the beach uh, with my daughter, my, my eldest daughter one day, and to her amazement, this ama that's not the castle we built, wasn't as impressive as that. The castle that we built, to her amazement, the tide came in and took it away. And, and the, the life is like that, that the things that you build that you think are going to last forever just somehow kind of, kind of slip through your fingers. If you, if, you, if you think this is what I'm going to do in life, it, it just eludes you somehow. I, I, I was telling somebody that I went to Aberdeen for three years and I'm still there 18 years later. And most of the major things, I, I chose to marry my wife, best decision I've ever made, chose to move to Aberdeen, but most of the major things about my life, I did not actually choose to do. I didn't choose to be born into the family I was born into. I didn't choose to have the children we had, the type of children we had. The, you, you meet people, you take a step here, you go there. You're, when you look back through your life, the person you are and the kind of control you have over your life is actually very limited. Life is not completely within your grasp. Life can be elusive and you will grasp after things and not actually be able to get them and hold on to them. Here's, here's the, th the third thing. Life is repetitive. Life is repetitive. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Do you, do you see what the poetry is doing? What, what is the poetry doing? It's going round and round, isn't it? And it's going, the poetry is going round and round because the earth is going 
round and round. We're on a spinning globe. The cycles of the seasons, the sun, everything is circular. So your, your life is a strange combination of linear. You're moving chronologically through time irreversibly in one direction. You cannot go back in time. And yet, as you are moving forward linearly in time, you are moving forward in a rolling loop, aren't you? It is summertime again. Soon it will be autumn again and then winter again. It is, what day is it? Saturday again. Next, next week it will be next Saturday. The, the, the days of the weeks, the months, the years, they all have this repetition built into them. And Ecclesiastes knows the reason it's doing this opening here is to say that to be a creature is to be locked into a repetitive cycle of life. And friends, you are going to spend your life trying to escape the repetitive cycle. Nothing is more mind-numbing than doing the same old things day after day, week after week. It's what you look at your parents, you think, I love you, mum and dad, but your life's a bit sad, isn't it? A bit boring. You know, you, you just do the same old, same old. But I'm young. I'm going to go and conquer, conquer the world and do things. And before you know it, you will be locked into the repetitive cycle and you will try and escape it. Let, let, let me just read you what I wrote uh, in here. Here's how, I, here's how I tried to express it in here. The reality is we spend our lives trying to escape the constraints of our created condition. Opening our eyes to this is a, is a significant breakthrough. To be human is to be a creature, and to be a creature is to be finite. We are not God, we are not in control, and we will not live forever. We will die. But we avoid this reality by playing let's pretend Let's pretend that if we get the promotion or we see our church grow or we bring up good children, we'll feel significant and we'll leave a lasting legacy behind us. Let's pretend that if we change jobs or emigrate to the sun, we won't experience the humdrum tedium and ordinariness of life. Let's pretend that if we move house, we'll be happier and we'll never want to move again. Let's pretend that if we end one relationship and start a new one, we won't ever feel trapped. Let's pretend that if we were married or weren't married, then we would be content. Let's pretend that if we had more money, we would be satisfied. Let's pretend that if we get through this week's pile of washing and dirty nappies and shopping lists and school runs and busy evenings, next week will be quieter. That's what Angela and I say to each other every single week. Next, next birthday, I'll be there. L let's pretend that time is always on our side to do the things we want to do and become the people we want to be. Let's pretend that we can break the cycle of repetition and finally arrive in a world free from weariness. Okay, now here, here's the key thing. We long for change in a world of permanent repetition, and we dream of how to interrupt the repetition. Okay? But at the same time, we long for lives of permanence in a world of constant change, and we strive to achieve it. See the, see the difference, the two things? In a, in a world where we're always doing the same old, same old, we long for change. We dream of how to interrupt the same old, same old. And at the same time, in a world of constant change, we long for permanence and we long to achieve it. We spend our lives aligning our better selves with a different future that we envisage will be more rewarding. And in it all, we are simply trying to make permanent the thing that is not meant to be permanent, us. And by constant change, we are trying to control the thing that is not meant to be controlled, the world. Okay? So think about how we try and make ourselves permanent. What, what, what do we do? We join a gym, 
we get an insurance plan, we take out a pension, uh, we change our diet. We, we're trying to make ourselves here for as long as possible because we want to be permanent. And we don't like the ordinary, humdrum, tedious, boring nature of life. So we look for a new adventure and a new partner and a new thing and a new this. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, look, the very fact of creation critiques your aspiration to be more than a creature. If the world is happy to be spinning, why do you think you're going to have to escape making your pack lunch again on a Monday morning for the rest of your working life? The, the sun and the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain, they don't escape it. Why do you think you will escape it? It's just part of being human to accept that time is a repetitive entity and the seasons come and go and you and I need to be happy that life is going to be like that for us. Uh, in that chapter in the book, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis about C.S. Lewis says that th this is where the enemy goes to work. Okay, he, from the screw tape letters, uh, the, the, the senior devil in the screw tape letter says human beings love the fact that it is spring again. They love the fact that it is time for conquers again. And in that desire, the devil gets in and tries to create dissatisfaction with life as we have it tries to create an inordinate desire for change. We love the fact that there's change. And the devil tries to make it an inordinate desire for change. Rather than accepting the limitation of the kind of change that God gives us annually, we want to have even more than that. So friends, it's a really simple thing. Every time the seasons change, and every time you see the cycle of the world, simply pause and thank God that you get to do like the sun, the same old thing every day. Now, it doesn't mean you can't look for a better job, you can't look for um, a, a partner, a new home, all the rest. Of course, all of that is also intrinsically good, okay? But when you, when you think, if I get that, I will not have to do this anymore, you are rising above your created station. You're, you're standing on a spinning globe saying, I'm not going to spin anymore. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be unique. And part, of, part of being human is accepting that life is repetitive. Now, chapter three is where I'm going to do these next three. Life is rhythmical. Life is relational. Life is ordered. And it, the, the, the atmosphere changes slightly. Now, by my watch, it's five to one. And by that watch, it's two to one. Um, all right. Okay. <laughs> Time is flexible. Time is what you make it. Um, what should we do? Should we stop there, I think, for lunch? It is, before I start point four. Um. Oh. You should move to Trinity. That's nice. I don't, I don't get that every week. Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes? You think lunch can wait? Okay. Okay. That's kind. Let's do, let's, we'll go, we'll love our lunch then, won't we, by the time we get to it. Chapter three, time is rhythmical. It's not just repetitive. Time is rhythmical. Do you see the way chapter three opens? For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So look at all those times in verses two to eight. A time to be born, a time to, by the time you've read down the list, there is a rhythm even to the words, isn't there? 
Um, so it's not it's not just that things are repeating, but things are things are changing. And this season of life uh, is giving away giving way to this season. Life is seasonal, not just in atmospheric meteorological terms, but in in s- circumstantial terms, life is rhythmical. Okay. Now I, w- I want us just to pause there a minute and think about this. The, the The Bible is saying that there is a time for all things. Okay. There is a time for everything. Isn't it true that the world that you and I live it, live in says it's the opposite? Instead of being instead of there being a time for all things, the world says all things can be done all the time. Okay, this has been one of the biggest moves, I think, in my my generation. When I was at university, the library was open at a particular set of time. Shops were open at this. Increasing, at least pre-pandemic, the move was to 24-7 everything, wasn't it? And modern technology has harnessed us to the lie that we can throw off the creaturely restraints of time and that we can have access to everything always, without waiting, without stopping, without needing to rest. If I was to tell my children, you used to have to set the video recorder to record a program, and if you missed it, you missed it. And you had to, or even what about this, you have to wait for next week's episode. It's not what happens anymore, isn't it? Download the whole lot now, and how dare I have to wait for anything? Uh, electricity has blurred the boundaries between night and day, hasn't it? We, we work now while it is night because of electricity. Just like the, the, the car, the invention of the motor car killed the parish. You used to have churches and a geographical area around it, and you went to the church in your parish because you had to walk. Maybe you were rich enough to have a horse to get there. The car destroyed parish boundaries. If you like the preacher on that side of town, you go to hear him, him now. T- technology has, ha- has changed the boundaries of our lives. Uh, our online life is a timeless master, isn't it? it? It is pinging commands at us night and day without end, and we obey the commands of our blinking smart devices, whatever they say to us. Think about all the things that are now 24-7, gyms, fuel stations, libraries, offices, supermarkets, all, all the things that advance the human person, whether the body or the mind or, uh, or, or, or consumption. There is no particular season for anything anymore. We do what we want and we do it, we do it when we want to do it. And Ecclesiastes says, no, wise people respect time's rhythms. What are the rhythms of time? Dawn, morning, afternoon, evening, six days to work, one day to rest. That structures a week, and that repeats over a month, and the month repeats over the year. And friends, if you try to live a rhythm-free life by simply doing whatever you feel like doing in any given moment without, without proper attention to whether this is the right season to do this thing in, actually the fabric of who you are as a human being will begin to come apart. And I think we're all, we all know this, don't we? You, you, you watch, what was that Netflix program about um, social media? What was it called, The Social Dilemma? Yeah. 
So we, we held off on smartphones with our children until the, the, the rule in our house is when you're 13, you get a smartphone on your 13th birthday. So we, my, my wife and I love the fact that our kids say they're the weirdest kids in school because of this. And my son came over to Ireland on a football tour and I said to him in the, when he got back, it was a couple of years ago, I said, were you the only kid on the team without a phone? He said, Dad, I was the only kid in Ireland without a phone. Um, <laughs> so I was like, hmm. Um, and, and two years after having a smartphone, my son watched this program, The Social Dilemma, with my wife, and he said at the end, I, I want you to limit my, my time on the phone. Two years of having it and can already see what it's, what it's doing to him. Our, our constant, seasonless attention to digital media is diminishing our personhood, isn't it? It, it, is, it is shrinking it. And I've been, in, I've been in church work for 15 years, 15 years of pastoral ministry, um, he, here's, a really, here's a really astonishing thing. In 15 years, I have not seen many families unravel who unswervingly observe the Lord's Day as with God's people in church. If there's morning and evening worship, we're there morning and evening. I, I, in 15 years, I haven't seen many, if any, families unravel who live like that. But I constantly interact with families whose whose interruptible devotion to corporate worship is a symptom of fragmented living in so many other ways. It doesn't, doesn't mean being at church makes everything okay. That's not what I'm talking about. But the, the people who live with a, a, rep, a, a predictable rhythm, Sunday, is, Sunday, this is what we do, we're at church. Saturday, this is what we do, we do this. Given all the unpredictable interruptions that can come along, yes, of course, but people who live rhythm-free lives tend to have relationally chaotic lives. And people who, people who you can set your clock by in terms of rhythm can do tremendous good simply by observing the rhythm. Uh, I, I, there are some ministers here, and I'm going to say what I would love someone to say in my context. It's a bit harder for me to say. But I'm going to say on behalf of all ministers the world over to every Christian person in this room, if you want to encourage your minister, simply be there. That's it. End of story. You don't, need, you don't need to join the welcome team. You don't need to cook meals. You don't need to be rich and give loads of money. Although All those things are good if you can do them. Just be there. Okay. Set, set. Set the rhythm of your life by the rhythms that God has put in place. Six days work, one day rest, one day for worship, and nothing breaks it. Many people increasingly, church is, well, it just it's in the ebb and flow of all, I've got something else on this morning, I'll do that instead. I'll, and as, if you find life being lived like that, you become a person just pulled apart. You end up, it's the idolatry, isn't it, of trying to be in all places at all times doing all things. Life is rhythmical. Number five, life is relational. And there's a beautiful relational aspect uh, embedded in three one, three, one to eight. Just have a look at it and notice with me all those times, okay? Very few of them are identifiable as something that you just do on your own. Maybe, maybe breaking down or building, maybe casting stones, or even there, verse five, a time to gather stones together. Time to seek, time to lose. I'm not, it's not exactly clear what that is. But most of them are relational, aren't they? 
a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to kill, a time to weep, a time to laugh. Look at verse 4, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I want to encourage you to think about the seasons of your life in relational terms, not just calendar terms. So iPhone teaches you to map your life by the, the, the sun and the moon, doesn't it? This date, you know, de- doctor's appointment, 14th of June, this event, 16th of June. But the way that when you look back on your life, you won't look back on your life through the lens of an iPhone calendar. You won't look back and you say, oh, that was my 10 o'clock appointment uh, on 20th of June, 2022. You, you look back on your life as, ah, that, that's when I was still at home with my mom and dad. That's the year that I left. That's the year that I met so-and-so. That's the year that I became a husband, became a mother, became uh, a father. That's the year that I lost my husband. The, you, you talk People who've experienced extreme bereavement, they talk about their before and after, don't they? That's just the way they think about life. That, that's when I had him. That's when I don't have him. Life, life is mapped relationally, not simply in terms of calendar appointments. And when you think about the whole of your life in relational categories, Ecclesiastes is saying, and we're going to see it in chapter 9, the greatest gift you have are people. The greatest thing God has given you is people. Okay, That's why there is a time to weep, because you've lost someone. That's why there's a time to mourn. That, that, to mourn. That's why there's a time to dance. You're at a wedding. You find somebody. A whole community is celebrating. And, and, it, and it means, as you go through life in this world, that it's why you have eating, drinking, eating, drinking, working, relating. That those are the greatest gifts. And we spend so much time, don't we? Particularly in marriage it happens, particularly when children come along. You spend so much time taking each other for granted and using each other to achieve your projects. So the, the, the housewife at home looking after the, the house and the home, feeding her husband so that he can clinch the deal and be the big name and make a lot of money. And what happens to them over time? They, they lose each other. They've used each other for other projects when actually the greatest gift is each other. And I want to to encourage you here with whatever season of life you're in, you might be in one of those seasons. Some of you are laughing, some of you are mourning, some of you have lost, some of you are gaining. Some of you are in the midst of a really ugly conflict, verse eight. And I want to encourage you that wherever you are, whatever season you're in, walk, walk towards the relational pain. Don't, don't walk away from it. If there's a relationship to put right after this weekend, try and put it right. Walk towards someone and see if you can change the season by the way that you're relating to them. I want to just show you a, a video. Um, still got time, haven't we? Um, I, make it, I make it now only 10 to 1, so we're all right. Uh, I think I'll just, I'll try it here. I'll just move this over. It's not, the sound's not that essential. And you'll have to tell me, you're, I keep talking about your age group, don't I? I wonder what effect this will have on your... Thank you. 
What do you think of that? Stunned silence. I um, I've showed that video to my two daughters at home, and they're just bored, senseless, like, yeah, whatever, Dad, and off they go onto something else. And I sit weeping. I sit crying, looking at it. Yeah, uh, here's what her dad says. Look, she was changing at such a rapid pace that I felt the need to document the way she looked to keep my memories intact. I, I think what you're looking at when you look at that video is love, aren't you? That's just what it is. It's a father saying, you are, you are so precious. I want to hang on to every single moment that I have of you. And he's managed to capture I me. Mean, you've got everything, haven't you? The braces, the tears. The, she seems a pretty happy uh, girl on the whole, doesn't she? But you've got everything there. Imagine being able to condense a whole of 20 years into that five minutes to see somebody actually change. And we don't get to do that. We go about life ordinarily and all the rest. And we, ju we, we, just, take, we just take each other for granted, don't we? Um, life is relational. I want to say to you, some, phone somebody after this weekend. Men, phone your mum. Okay, after this weekend, speak to somebody, some relational move towards somebody because time is relational. You will look back on a particular season and remember where you were in relation to particular people. So play an active part in that. Let me finish with this. That bell is saying we really need to go, don't we? Life is, life is ordered. Um, no, we're going to finish. I'll do that tonight. I'll do life is ordered. We're hungry. We're ready for lunch. Um, and it's too important. The last one is too important. Um, so I'll work out how to do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again so much for the beauty of the world in which we live. And uh, right now we pause to thank you for the beauty and the pain of the relationships that you've given to us. Each of us know both of those things. All of this is a gift. We are moving through life so often unreflectively, taking what you have given uh, the seasons of life roll upon us unpredictably. But we pray that through this weekend, you will simply help us to reflect on who we should be in those seasons. Lord Jesus, make us like you. We long to be wise. We long to know what will last. We long to know what matters for eternity. We long to serve others in the way that you have served us. So make us like you, we pray. And as we thank you for the good gift of food and friendship, chance to talk and be together, uh, we give back to you all that you have given to us in praise and thanks. And thank you for it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.